You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about heritage and legacy. So I want to share a little bit about my past heritage and things that have been passed on, in particular my name, the park's name. Now, this is kind of crazy. I didn't know all this until we moved here, but there have actually been nine generations now of parks men that have lived in the state of Illinois. My ancestor, James Parks, came to America in the 1700s from Ireland. He first settled in Tennessee and then made his way up here to Illinois, where he died in the early 1800s. His son was a sergeant, Sergeant Hugh Parks, who fought in the Black Hawk War right around here. And this was the same war that Abe Lincoln was in, the militia. His son, 2nd Lieutenant Francis Marion Buck Parks, nice nickname there, he fought in the Civil War for the Union and was killed at the Battle of Stones River in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. His son was Felix Grundy Parks and William Hubert Parks, and then my grandfather, George Hugh Parks, who I never had the privilege of meeting. And then my dad, Roger Parks, who spent some time growing up years in the Peoria area. Now myself, Kyle Parks, and uh, actually my first name is, in fact, Roger. I knew someone would do it. When I told the student ministry that, I told them my first name. I said, don't call me Roger. And then, of course, that's what they've all <laughs> called me. Anyone else go by their middle, middle name here? Anybody else go by their middle name? I feel your pain. I do. <laughs> but now, my sons, Emery, Sullivan, and Owen Parks, make the ninth generation of Parksmen living here. And six generations of Parksmen are buried in Illinois. My grandfather, my dad were pastors. My dad's now retired. But I had never lived in Illinois prior to coming to Edgewood. So when God called us here, it was nothing short of miraculous. So I lived in the southeast my whole life, and we felt compelled by God to move here. Now that's my dad's side of the family. My mom's side of the family is the Sandberg side. Her maiden name, my grandfather, her dad was Don. He came uh, here from Sweden. And as a child, was a World War II veteran. He fought in Europe. My mom, here's the crazy thing, my mom was actually born in Davenport and lived for a time in Moline when her parents, my grandparents, ministered at First Free in Moline in the late 1950s, early 1960s. So my grandmother, Jessie Sandberg, is the daughter of John R. Rice, which is a well-known evangelist back in the day. He shared the gospel all over the United States, had connections with Billy Graham at one point when, after moving here, Pastor Brown, the former pastor here, told me that at one point John R. Rice had a profound impact on him and helped him to even make some decisions when it came to Edgewood. Just the things that you learn about when you move somewhere new. Now, John R. Rice was married to Lois Cook Rice, and I'm told one of my ancestors through that side of the family is Captain James Cook perhaps the world's most famous explorer. Maybe that's why I love to travel so much. But our obsession with ancestry has only grown here in America. It's a growing trend. People want to know where they came from. Why am I the way that I am? More than 26 million people now have taken genetic ancestry tests since the year 2012, incidentally creating a database of huge value to pharmaceutical companies and law enforcement. Maybe you've seen some of these true crime documentaries lately. Now they're solving cold cases because people are sending in their DNA and it's getting connected to people who have committed crimes. 
But the genealogical behemoth, Ancestry.com, which boasts more than 3 million subscribers, and the nation's largest genetic database was purchased for $4.7 billion in the year 2020. Now, when some look into their past, they find that they're connected to royalty. Wow, my ancestor was a prince or a princess or a king or a queen. But unfortunately, others find that they're related to some notorious individuals and wish they had never known. But genealogy is a record or account of the ancestry and descent of a person, family, or group. The study of family ancestries and histories. There's about 25 of these genealogies in Scripture. And you might ask, why are those there? Well, they help with historical accuracy, the historicity of the Bible. Next month in our Bible reading plan, we're going to be in the books of First and Second Chronicles. You might be thinking, oh no. But in those books, there's lots of genealogies. The first nine chapters is just a bunch of names. So why are we reading that? Well, again, it shows historical accuracy, but it also shows God's work in individual lives, just how he works in our lives. Now, we'll come back to genealogy later, but today's message is more topical in nature. But we want to ask that question, what's in a name, as Shakespeare so famously asked in his most famous work, Romeo and Juliet. So today we want to talk about uh, names. We want to talk about name meanings, associations with our names, our heritage, and the legacies that we leave behind. So our text for today is just one verse, Proverbs 22.1. Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, said this, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Now in this context, he's talking, mostly referring to a good reputation. It's better than material wealth. And just like wisdom, we should seek after it more than for treasures, than material possessions. Likewise, in Ecclesiastes 7.1, it says a good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is so important to have, isn't it? What about name meanings? Are name meanings important to you? How many of you know what your name means here today? Anybody? All right. Maybe a third of the group. You should look it up. Figure that out. My wife and I, when we were naming our children, we were deciding on names, and most of the names we came to the conclusion of is the ones that we could just agree on when it came to their names. But it's a bonus when you find out that they have an interesting name meaning. But our daughter, our youngest child, we decided with the name Chloe. And it solidified it for us when we saw and read in 1 Corinthians 1.11 about Chloe. Her name is in Scripture. But Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, Chloe is the youngest girl, and she has three older brothers, and they like to fight a lot. So we thought, maybe Chloe, as she grows up, she can be a peacemaker for her brothers. But Chloe means springtime. We thought, hey, that's great. We love that. And then Emery, when we chose his name, we found out that it meant strong leader. And we tell him that often. You're, you're a leader, man. And Owen, our youngest son, his name means young warrior. Well, another good one. And then there's Sullivan, our second-born son. It means dark-eyed one. So, <laughs> sorry, Sully. But he does have dark brown eyes, so that's something. But what about biblical names? You think about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Several years ago, Pastor Brian was giving a sermon on names, and I'm going to quote him here, and he said this, while names are important in our culture, they were even more so in biblical times. Again, Proverbs 22.1 tells us that a good name is to be more desired than great riches. 
Name didn't just distinguish or label a person. They were often thought to reveal the very nature of an individual. For example, Nabal, whose name means fool, lived out what his name meant in 1 Samuel 25. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. Poor Nabal. What were his parents thinking? But God often changed people's names throughout Scripture. Most well-known one, Abram, was changed to Abraham. Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of a multitude. He would become the father of the children of Israel. His wife, Sarai, was turned to Sarah, meaning princess. Jacob was changed to Israel. The word Jacob means cheater, deceiver, liar, and Israel means God's people. So a little bit of better definition there than Jacob. Sorry if your name is Jacob here today. But Simon was changed to Peter in the New Testament, meaning rock, and Saul was changed to Paul, meaning small or humble. Now, there's many famous people, celebrities, athletes, who have changed their names over the course of time. A lot of times to get rid of the bad press, the negativity associated with their names. I was thinking about some NBA players recently. I've been watching the NBA playoffs, enjoying that. But one of the most well-known ones is, first, his name was someone you might not recognize, but Lou Alcindor. When he converted to Islam, he changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the most well-known basketball players of all time. Another guy, Lloyd Bernard Free, changed his first name to World, used his middle initials so that his name would be World Be Free. Clever. Ron Artest. This guy was part of one of the worst NBA fights in NBA history. And he wanted to get away from that bad press and the bad name and everything associated with it, so he changed his name to Meta World Peace. And then Ennis Cantor, most recently, became a U.S. citizen, and he changed his last name to Freedom. But name changes for you. Maybe that's happened in your own life, or you know somebody. Maybe you associated your name more so you wanted to be known by a step-parent or an adopted parent, because they were more apparent to you than your biological parent. What about name associations? What goes along with your name? What follows your name? Paul would often use greetings in his epistles at the beginning, at the end, especially at the end, but a lot of times he'd greet people and sometimes he'd use someone's name multiple times in different epistles. So we hear names like this quite often in these writings of Paul. Aristarchus, Antichicus, and Epaphras, Priscilla, and Aquila, Onesephorus, and Onesimus. Most of the time there's good associations with their names, and these were his fellow workers in the gospel. But sometimes there were bad associations. Sometimes he called people out. In 2 Timothy 4, we see he calling, him calling out Demas and Alexander. So we want to give a little case study for Demas. It wasn't always this way with him. Colossians 4, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And Philemon 23 and 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So these are people that were working with him sharing the gospel. But then in 2 Timothy 4, he said this to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He abandoned Paul when he needed him the most. So right here from Demas's life, we can just learn that it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. We see that in the lives of many biblical characters. So here's the thing. Names are important in associations with them, but more importantly, what kind of person are you? Better yet, what kind of person do others see you as when they hear your name? What kind of associations do they have with your name? 
Which finally brings us to our main point for today. No matter what your name or heritage is, you can leave a godly legacy for generations to come. So let's look at heritage. Let's look at legacy. Heritage is something to be inherited, given, passed on. We see that children are heritage from the Lord. In Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So God has given us our children, and we in turn will give things to them and pass things on to them. What are some things that we can pass on to our children? We can stay together. We can make good financial decisions. We can invest. I hope to do an elective later at the end of the year on investments and how can we do that biblically speaking. But Proverbs 13.22 says this, and this is biblical, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now I realize not everybody can do this, right? We fall in hard times, the market crashes, money gets stolen, but this is something we should strive to do to provide for our family and maybe even our, our, our grandchildren, those who come after us. But leaving behind a will and inheritance but especially, spiritually speaking, especially our faith, passing that on to the next generation. That's the legacy that we're talking about now. So legacy is a long-lasting impact that a person has on people or society as a whole, even after they're gone. When I think about legacy, Psalm 112 has always come to mind, a favorite chapter, and uh, I would call it the legacy chapter, But I would long for this to be said about me one day, perhaps you too. But it says this, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. So from legacy, we have words like impact and influence. Impact means having a strong effect on someone or something. So yes, we want to have an impact on people, but we really want to go a step further and have influence. Because influence means the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development or behavior of someone or something, or the effect itself. So even if you don't have physical children, you can have spiritual children. You can pass on your faith. You can make disciples who make more disciples. So again, no matter what your name or heritage is, you can leave a godly legacy for generations to come. A great scriptural example of this is found in 2 Timothy, and Pastor Brian spoke on this just on Mother's Day a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. And he's going to be on second, in 2 Timothy the whole summer, so I don't want to steal his thunder. But 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 6, we have this example. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. That wasn't his actual child, it was his spiritual child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, so even Paul here is giving a shout out to those who have gone before him, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So we have Timothy here. First start with Lois, Eunice, Timothy, and now he's going to pass on his faith. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Take care of what has been entrusted to you and pass on and continue on the faith. And then chapter 2, 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to what? Teach others also. You see the pattern there? It was passed on to him, and now he's passing it on to others, whether his physical children one day or his spiritual children. So right here we can get our action steps from today. Number one is pass on the faith to your family, Lois, Eunice, Timothy, and so on and so forth, and continued for generations to come because of faithfulness that started there with Lois. Number two, guard what has been entrusted to you. Keep believing. Pastor Ray Pritchard has a ministry called Keep Believing Ministries. It's to help us to continue on in the faith. We believe when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not just a one-time decision, it's just an everyday decision that we continue in on. And number three, make disciples who make disciples. Make disciples of your own children and also other people that you encounter, your spiritual family. Remember, a disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to follow him. So when it comes to your heritage, where did you come from and what are you passing on? Maybe you came from a family of dysfunction and abuse and addiction and anger and bitterness. Perhaps you're the first believer in your family. And now you have an opportunity to pass that on to your children and those who come after you. Maybe you want to have a family that's filled with love and stability. Perhaps you can pass on an inheritance, but most importantly, your faith. But no matter where you are today, if you come from a dysfunctional family or a solid family, I want us to find some encouragement in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to go there, we're going to look at some of this from Matthew 1 and Jesus' genealogy. Verse 1 says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It goes on for 15 more verses, naming all these different people, all these different names. We have well-known people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs of the faith. And these, for the most part, they're good associations with their names. Of course, they weren't perfect, they made mistakes. For the most part, we think good things about them. But then you had other people in the family line of Jesus that were Clearly messed up. Judah, for example, Genesis 29. He was responsible for selling his brother Joseph into slavery. His two sons were so evil that God literally struck them dead. Tamar, in Genesis 38, was the daughter-in-law of Judah. At one point, she posed as a temple prostitute in order to seduce him and have his children. So we're talking about an incestuous relationship here. About Rahab, Rahab in Joshua 2 through 6, she started out as a prostitute, but she later married into the children of Israel. Think about Ruth wasn't a part of the children of Israel, but she married in as well. About someone like David, the greatest king in Israel's history. But David also made horrible, horrible mistakes. 2 Kings 11, he committed adultery and also murdered. And with Solomon, 1 Kings 11, another king of Israel, He had hundreds of foreign wives. He worshipped other gods and idols. He broke the very first commandment that God had given them. 
What about Manasseh in 2 Kings 21? Another king of Israel, it says he did more evil than any other godless nations around them. So historically, kings would have had their triumphs recorded, not their failures. So why does Matthew record the family line of Jesus, especially if it can look so bad with some of these people? Well, here's the thing. If the Bible were not true, don't you think that the writers would at least try to make the family line of Jesus, the Messiah, look a little better? Well, the Bible is not concerned with how things look. The Bible is concerned with the truth. The genealogy of Jesus shows God's faithfulness and grace despite Jesus' earthly family's dysfunction. Now, we believe Jesus is fully God and fully man, but his earthly family had some messed up people in it. So I asked that question, hey, are you from a dysfunctional family? Well, Jesus was too, so find comfort in that. He can use anyone. And God's faithfulness and grace is prevalent in our lives. But this also gives us an open invitation to a better family, God's family, the church, the body of Christ. Maybe your family has turned their backs on you because you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, you have family here now. So no matter what kind of heritage has been passed down to you, what will be your legacy? And with legacy, what impact or influence will you leave behind? So no matter what your name or heritage is, you can leave a godly legacy for generations to come. So my grandmother, Jesse Sandberg, passed away uh, this last January at the age of 94. When someone dies and passes away, sometimes we hear stories about them that we didn't ever know before. Now this came from actually Ray Pritchard. He wrote a blog a couple days after she died, and he posted this on Facebook. Maybe some of you saw this, but Pastor Ray wrote the book, Anchor for the Soul, Pastor Brian's mentor. But apparently, my grandmother, Jesse, had a profound impact on Pastor Ray when he was in college. So he writes this. I'll read from this post. He says, the news hit me hard. He heard about her passing on Facebook, which surprised me a bit since I don't think we've seen Mrs. Sandberg since Marlene and I graduated from college in 1974. So it's been like 50 years. Yet when I check the Keep Believing website, I find that I've mentioned her over the years more than any other college professor. Many years ago, Marlene and I were students in college together in Chattanooga, Tennessee. One of our favorite teachers was Jesse Sandberg. We both took British literature from her. And after all these years, I don't remember anything she taught us about British literature, but I remember her vividly. Mrs. Sandberg was one of those teachers who was great in the classroom and even greater outside of the classroom. We've all had teachers like that, the kind of teacher you wanted to be around because they were such wonderful people. We both knew her well. During the time we were engaged, Marlene went to her several times for advice. After graduation, we got married, moved to Texas, and we lost contact with her. A few years later, though, she sent us a Christmas card with a three-by-five card enclosed. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. At the top, the card said, Ray and Marlene Pritchard, Dallas, Texas. Underneath, she had written in various states, one five. 1 8, 1 15, 1 29, 2 4, 2 11, 2 22, 3 4, 3 8, and so on. There must have been nearly 80 dates on the card, but there was no explanation. Then we read the Christmas card. It said, Every time I prayed for you this year, I wrote the date on the card. She mailed it to us so we would know that she had faithfully prayed for us that year. And he says, The lesson is simple. If you love someone, you'll pray for them. 
If you don't love them, you'll stop praying eventually. When you pray, one of two things will happen. You will either start loving or you will stop praying. When someone prays for you like that, you never, ever forget it. So that, that gift of prayer was passed on from my grandmother to my mother, who I know prays for us, her children, daily. But when it comes to you and your name, what do people think about when they say your name or hear your name? Better yet, what will people think about or say when they hear your name after you're gone? What will people say about you at your funeral? Will people have to make up stories about you to make you sound better than you actually were? Or will your impact and influence be so great and your life so God-honoring that people simply think of Jesus when they hear your name? So when it comes to Jesus, do you know him by name? Do you have a relationship with him? Jesus said in Luke 10, 20, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Revelation 21, 27, we see that heaven is for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have to believe the gospel. We need to repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died and rose again and he came to give us life and an opportunity to have eternity with him and to follow him and to be his disciples. Have you believed that gospel? Do you know Jesus by name rather than just know about him? So that's what I encourage us to consider right now and what we're leaving behind, but also the fact that do you know Jesus by name? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. God, we thank you for the names you've given us. Lord, we believe in your sovereign will. You have us here today for a purpose. Lord, you've led us and guided us to this point. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you by name, they don't have a relationship with you, God, that they would repent of their sins and believe that you died and rose again and you want a relationship with them so that they can live in eternity with you in heaven, that they would faithfully follow you the rest of their lives. God, I pray that you'd be with anyone here that doesn't know you and have that relationship. And God, for those that do know you, God, I pray that we'd be faithful that we'd pass on our faith to our children and grandchildren and make disciples who make disciples. Lord, I pray that your word, your spirit would convict us to do so. Lord, how will we be remembered? Lord, I pray that we would consider that today. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.